1: Let's turn to God's Word then together, the letter to the Hebrews. Will Allen, our assistant minister, is going to be preaching for us in just a moment. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 8, just the first six verses, page 1005 if you're using the Black Bibles, or 1192 if you're using large print. And we've had a break through December from Hebrews, and so uh, we come back to it together again. Hebrews chapter 8, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word.
0: Well, good evening. Would you please turn back to Hebrews chapter 8? Now this evening we're going to be thinking about what lasts and uh, I've been thinking over the presents I've been kindly given uh, for Christmas and I was wondering which of them are actually going to last uh, perhaps just think over yours uh, which are going to do it some may not have done already they might have already been broken or torn or drunk um, uh, some might last the year, I don't know, like a, a jumper you've been given or something, and some might, they might just last a little bit longer than that, because our stuff, it just points us to something that's true uh, of life, that things don't last, do they? They do eventually wear out, they, they break, um, but it's also true of other things, our, our memories, our bodies, even our planet, our, our star, if, If you remember back um, a few weeks ago in Advent, David was speaking how nothing has permanence, even life itself, death uh, casts a long shadow over our lives. And we we know that deep down, don't we? It's just all around us. And and so I wonder if our society, knowing that, has kind of of gone for the full-on approach. You know, if we can't make things life, let's just go big. Okay, uh, let's, let's maximize things now. Uh, let's make this short term as crazy and kind of as mega as we can. Just think of know, binge drinking, you know, it's, it's getting hammered or nothing. Or, or technology, I'm going to get the best iPhone even if it puts me into, into debt. Or relationships, it's about, you know, sex now, no strings attached, get everything while I can, go big or go home. But the, the thing is... We know that just leaves us hurt and burnt. The great highs are followed by deep lows. But in Christ, God, this evening for us, has a much better answer. Not a quick high and a deep low. Not here today, gone tomorrow. But instead, something for us that lasts, that doesn't fade. Something that that grows into something glorious, something we can be part of. And he shows us that here in Hebrews 8 that we're going to look at. And it's all centered on a who and on a where. And we'll come to that. Now, we've been away from Hebrews, as David said, for quite a long time now, all of December. And, uh, but it's a book that is it's all about Jesus. Um, it's showing us how great he is, uh, what a wonderful Savior he is, um, so, that, so that we stick with him. What's the point of the book. So we stick with him through thick and thin, suffering and plenty, because there is no one better. And if you look back in your Bibles just at chapter one, uh, we saw, if you try and cast your minds back, but we've seen how God spoke uh, through Jesus. He's even better than the angels. And then you turn over to the beginning of chapter three and you see he, he's better than Moses because he's over God's house and Moses was in God's house. And then in chapter five, the writer, he began to open up this idea that, that Jesus is a better high priest. He had a warning passage in chapter six. And then if you turn over to chapter seven, from chapter seven, verse one through to 10 verse 18, it's all about Jesus' priesthood and all that surrounds that, like the tabernacle and the sacrifices. Uh, chapter seven, we particularly saw. If you remember, he's not in the order of Aaron anymore, but instead he's in the order of Melchizedek. He's our risen uh, and permanent high priest. Just have a look at 7 verse 23. It says um, that the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that's Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then here we get to chapter eight. And, and firstly, the writer again takes us to the who, to Jesus. It's, it's a good little passage actually to come to after a break uh, from the book. And then he's gonna take us to the where. Because if, if we wanna be part of something that lasts, that doesn't fade, Well, firstly, we need the perfect who. Let's read again verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now, the, the point is this. You know, what he's about to say, it's the, the high point of the argument so far. And what is it? Well, it's we have the perfect who. If God is going to give us something that lasts, he's got to give us the right person for the job. And so the writer kind of starts listing Jesus' titles, his qualifications. It's like when a, when a speaker's introduced and all their books and awards are read out or when a, an interviewer starts to read through an applicant's CV. And what do we see? Well, first... We see he's the perfect high priest. Verse 1, we have such a high priest. You know, we've looked at this uh, in previous sermons. It's kind of reflecting on chapter 7. For us to come to God, we need a priest, if you remember, a go-between. And we have that priest. He's been promised by God with an oath. He's one who lived a perfect life, holy, innocent. And vitally, he's the one who's in heaven permanently, as we just read for, for us, because he rose from the dead. One who's more glorious, the greater kind of priest. He's the perfect high priest. But there's more. He's also the perfect off. He's made the perfect offering. If you have a look at verse one again, we have one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven. A high priest. He sat down. Now, why is he sat down? What does that mean? Well, it's because he's completed something. Have a look at 7, verse 27. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He sat down because his sacrifice is sufficient, his death did it all. Now, this is a big topic that the writer's going to come back to in chapters 9 and 10. I don't want to steal the thunder from those chapters, but it's but if he sat down, then it's done. It's completed. It's what we need. There's nothing more to add to it. And so it's going to last. If nothing could be added, it's a perfect offering. And then thirdly, it, he's also the perfect king. Where he sat down, he sat down at the right hand of God. That is the ultimate position of power and rule, we not only have a priest, but we have a king. We have one who reigns, who's building God's kingdom. You know, we, we can look around at, at people trying to build their own little kingdoms, you know, domineering dads building their family kingdom, or, or ruthless bosses building their company kingdom, or, or tyrant rulers building their national kingdom. All built on fear and pain. Built in such a way that when they go, the kingdom just falls. You know, where will Putin's kingdom be when he dies? A hundred years from now, he'll be dead. Everything will have changed. But not Jesus. Because he's our king forever. And notice verse two, he's a minister, a servant. Now that word is speaking of his, his priestly role, but it shows his heart, doesn't it? He, he's serving in the heavens for the benefit of his people. He's serving so that we might be saved to the uttermost. He rules for our goods. His kingdom is one that it's not going to run dry or burn out. It's there to last. Why? Because the perfect king, he's our perfect sacrifice, who's offered the perfect offering and sat down at the right hand of God. He's the perfect who. And now I know that's loads, but I hope you just see the broad picture. He's the perfect who. Because we know the person looking after us, the person standing in for us, it, it really does actually matter. We need this person. Now, let me give you a, a silly example, but it, it makes the point. Because one of my favorite films is an Australian film called The Castle. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's about a lovely, if not a bit dim, family, um, and, and an airport wants to buy up their house so they can expand. And the dad is just having none of it. He, his home is his castle, and, and he takes the airport to court. And, and first of all, he has a mate who's a family lawyer, like in family law, doing the job. And the, the guy, this lawyer, he doesn't have a clue. He, he's, he's never been a barrister. He certainly has no idea about the Constitution and about that kind of thing. And his summing up of his case was, so it's the Constitution, it's Marbo, it's justice, it's the law, it's the vibe. And I rest my case. That was it, and, and not surprisingly, he lost. But then, a barrister, a QC, a guy who's at the top of his job and especially specializes in constitutional law, he, as a favor, kind of helps out, and suddenly things change. The film takes a turn. The case starts to make headway. It even gets to the Supreme Court, but I won't ruin the ending for you. But the, the guy who's working on our behalf matters. we know that. And we have the perfect who? The perfect priest, the perfect king, the minister of his people. And that means what Jesus does does not ever get thrown out. There's an enduring quality to what he does. He's not some kind of part-timer who does things that are okay, a bit like our Christmas presents, but they, they, they kind of wear out and break. No, what he does lasts. He's about saving to the uttermost. He's about eternal life. He's about what endures. His access to God is unique. His, his forgiveness is total. His righteousness complete. His love is abounding. His life is everlasting. If you want to be part of something longer than your New Year's resolutions, longer than than the the nation of Scotland, then it's not about what you do to make that happen. It's about who you're with. You know, we see a pale reflection of this uh, in, in people's love of celebrities. It's like, you know, if, if I attach myself to them, somehow their legacy will become my legacy. If I'm linked to a famous singer, to a, to a, a famous writer, or a brilliant sportswoman, then I'm going to last because they last. Or I don't know, perhaps we dig into family archives. We want to know our family are going to outlast us, that we're part of something bigger. We know the who matters, but we're struggling to find the right one the answer is we need the perfect who. We need Jesus Christ. That's the one we need to be with. Only He works and lives for things that are going to endure. I don't know, perhaps over the last few weeks you've found that things have faded quicker than you expected. Perhaps the money that you saved for Christmas disappeared quicker than you hoped. Perhaps the, the peace you'd worked at are between you and your mother-in-law faded sooner than you name for. Perhaps friends and family who, who you dearly loved were no longer around. Well, know you're with the one whose work will last. When our efforts fade, his will keep for eternity. I think sometimes as Christians we can start to think Jesus is a bit bit like us. He gets involved, then is. His passions, his love, his endurance begins to fade. He he secretly, you know, he's a bit gutted to be our saviour. Wish he'd chosen someone else. He's looking at a loophole in his covenant to see if he can back out. But he's not like us. Not a bit of it. Our saviour is phenomenal. He's in it for the long haul. He's in it for eternity with us. He's faithful 100%. His work isn't some cheap plastic imitation. It's built to last. He's the perfect who. But the writer doesn't just give us that. He also reminds us of the real where. The real where. We see it in verse 2. Jesus is a minister where? In the holy places. In the true tent that the Lord set up not man. Now, here our eyes are being turned away from the, the priest to where he works. And in the Old Testament, before the temple was built uh, by Solomon, the priests worked in a tent. It was set up by Moses, and it was a huge structure that, that, that could be carried and was called the tabernacle. But we, we need to see there's a true tent. It says a true tabernacle, a place that Jesus ministers, not by people, uh, but by directly uh, sorry, not built by people, but directly by God Himself. What's wrong with the human stuff, you may ask? You know, surely God set up the tabernacle. The worship uh, uh, was set up back there in Exodus. Well, let's have a look, shall we? Verse 3. The writer starts off by just reminding us that the priests have got to offer gifts. Now, by implication, if they've got to offer gifts, then they've got to offer them somewhere. So if Jesus is a priest, where's he going to offer his gifts? Well, verse four, now if Jesus were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So Jesus, he he can't minister on earth because there are priests already. But here we get to the issue. Jesus, he's never meant to be a priest in the tabernacle. Why? Because that tabernacle was never meant to last. Verse five, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And he proves it from the scriptures. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So the whole Old Testament setup, the priests, the sacrifices, but especially here, the place, the tabernacle, it's a shadow, it's a copy. It's all pointing beyond itself to somewhere else to somewhere better. It's all pointing to the heavenly place, the true tent. Because that's what a shadow does, isn't it? You know, When you, when you look at a shadow on the floor, let's, let's just say you're waiting for someone and you see a shadow of them on the floor as they come around the corner. Now you can tell it's them because of their outline. I don't know, they've got a familiar hat. They swing their arms in a, I don't know, as they walk in a familiar way. But it's, it's only 2D. There's no color. There are no features. There's no smiling eyes or kind of bright bow tie. And so when they appear from around the corner, you don't keep looking at the shadow. It'd be pretty weird if you tried to shake hands with a shadow, give it a hug, pat it on the head. No, you, you look up at the real thing. Our attention, our time with the shadow, it's, it's meant to be for a moment because it's limited. It's pointing us beyond to the real thing. The earthly tabernacle was limited, so it was only for a time. Now, the tabernacle was amazing. It was built to be carried through a desert for years and years. It was a huge tent structure with, with ten great curtains of fine linen and yarn. It had further curtains of goat's hair laid on top. It was all held together with, with bronze clasps and pieces of acacia wood. And then in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of God sat. The, the footstool of the creator of heaven and earth stood with the, the Ten Commandments and some manna inside. But it was Always to point beyond itself it was a, it was patterned on somewhere else a, a place of technicolor a place in 3d a place god had created a heavenly tent a place where the risen lord jesus entered at his ascension bringing everything together the place of god's manifest presence if the tent was just a shadow just imagine the heavenly reality and whatever you're imagining right now it's better than that a place of glory. It's the real. It's the true. And it's only the real. It's only the ultimate that will last. It's a theme that runs through Hebrews. The the things of these last days, they're the final, the consummate, the ultimate reality. You know, we've seen Back in chapter 1, the last days are when God speaks in Jesus with no more to come. Why? Because it's the ultimate speech. We've seen in the last days there's the final Sabbath celebration with no need of anything else. What was before is ending, and what is real is going to last. We see at the end of chapter 8 in verse 13, and he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. When the new is here, the real, the final appears, the old fades away, and the new will last. And here it's about the place. Later on in chapter 12, the writer speaks of God shaking the heavens and the earth, but says, Therefore let us be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, In other words, what Jesus is involved in, his place, his kingdom, because it's the real where it lasts. The shadow, the copy, they're temporary, but the true and the real, it abides. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's that's all well and good. Thanks for that kind of information, but so what? Well, let's just bring it to two areas of life as we finish that actually can be so unstable and insecure and in the end, it's fading. Firstly, let's just shine this on the this truth on our insecure, man-made religion. Now, things and places of worship, we know they just, they don't last, do they? If you just think of uh, the cathedral in Christchurch, New Zealand, an extraordinary building built 150 years ago, built to last. But after a number of earthquakes, a big one in 2011, it just brought the spire crashing down and damaging the rest of the building. And now there's kind of a temporary cathedral in its place or or think of the giant buddhas built in the rock of afghanistan probably 1500 years ago and yet the taliban could just come along place some dynamite underneath them and blow them apart never to be seen again our gold dims our our priests die our tents fall apart religious fads come and go our great objects of worship disappear they're stolen they're destroyed and so like other parts of society or well, religions at that point, man-made religions, they can get insecure about it all, about their own insecurity, really. And so what do they do? They, they try and up the glory, try and up the glory to make, make up for how fleeting they are. There's more gold. There are more statues. We take up, make our temples more innate. We go for flashy entertainment, uh, like a high-octane show, rather than reverent worship. But you know what, as Christians, we don't need to do that. There's a beautiful simplicity actually to our religion and our places of worship. We don't need a building to look like Solomon's temple with precious stones everywhere, with beams, doors, and and walls covered with gold. We don't need sparkly robes or giant statues. Why? Because we have a more glorious, more real and abiding heavenly tabernacle, the true tent made by God himself where Jesus is. We don't need to try and recreate heaven on earth. Yes, we, we believe in beauty and the, the importance of space and light and color. Buildings you know, do matter because people are made by God to enjoy his world, but they, they don't matter in a way that tries to make heaven here on earth in a way to to paper over the cracks of our limited religion. Instead, they matter in the way they can point us, point our eyes of faith upwards. You know, as we come each Sunday to worship together, as you walk into this building, this building, however lovely, even Queen Street, it is not the heavenly tabernacle. In a really important sense, there's nothing special about this building. But instead, it's as we meet in God's way, together around his word, together with our savior, Jesus Christ, with our heart centered on him, we're joined to the heavenly places, with the angels and saints who've gone before us, led by Jesus Christ himself, our great high priest. There's a simplicity our worship, because the perfect who, Jesus Christ, has gone to the real where, heaven itself. But lastly, this not only shines a light on our, our insecure man-made religion, it also shines onto our insecure lives of evangelism. Because often, if you're anything like me, we, we forget that things don't last. You know, we, we see people, I don't know, with successful careers or, or big houses or, or excellent academic and sporting potential and, and just think they don't need Christ. And so when we try and share him, you know, I know for myself I can think, well, they, they don't actually need him. And it actually then just comes across when I try and articulate why Jesus is so great. But the real where, it reminds us of where everything is heading in Christ. The place where Jesus is right now, it's not just going to stay out there forever. It's the seeds of the new creation. The, the new heaven will come to the new earth on the final day. There's an end game to all this. The rule of Christ is going to extend over the whole earth perfectly. The real where will be here fully, completely, lasting forever. And so us, the church, us reaching out to the nations with the gospel, with neighbors, friends, strangers, turning to Christ, it's a glimpse. It's a foretaste of the heavens finally spreading over the new earth as the kingdom of God grows across the earth. So we look forward to that final day People are being added for eternity so knowing there's a real where it reminds us of our task of of calling others to join in with that kingdom to join us so that they might be connected to something that will last forever their careers and cars their looks and their loves will disappear but we we can call them call them from those lives of here today and gone tomorrow to join in with something that's going to endure. And it's all centered on Jesus, isn't it? Our risen prophet, priest, and king, our savior and friend, who welcomes us to join in with that eternal project. It's him we proclaim. He's the perfect who. He's in the real where. It's his enduring ministry. Amen.